Good morning, Fairhill Church. Good to be with you uh, both here in person and online. Uh, thank you, of course, for um, all of the kind of congratulations and warm wishes. Uh, Casey and baby Vivian are doing well. Do we get the question? It can be Vivian or Vivi or Viv or V. You know, you're, whatever you want to do with it, we, we, have, we are not picky about that. Uh, pray for sleep for mom and for, uh, yeah, mostly sleep for mom. That's, uh, that's really all she wants. Um, so uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to bring the word. And uh, so last week, uh, it's nice. We can do it at home. We could be, be with you. Uh, we looked at uh, various groups that were coming to Jesus and trying to figure out who he was, the disciples who were like, just spending time with him, the, the demons who, who knew a surprisingly good amount, and uh, kind of the masses that were surrounding Jesus and trying to figure out who he was. Now we're continuing that same kind of theme and looking at different people who are coming to Jesus, these encounters with Jesus, but this time uh, they're not so positive. These are the, the opponents, those who have made uh, kind of false notions about Jesus. They are not believers, and they're coming to set Jesus straight. Now, it tells you a lot about the person, uh, how they interact with their enemies, how they engage with them, and I think just the, just the profound simplicity and wisdom of Jesus is so evident in the way that he interacts with these opponents that he's able to, to both refute them without offending them deliberately. Uh, he makes it clear what he's trying to say, but uh, without being offensive to those who are in kind of roles of power. And at the same time, he's going to use all of this to, to show who he is and what his kingdom is about. And ultimately, as they are accusing him of all of these things, he is inviting people to join him in his kingdom. And that's the beauty of, of the enemies. They come, and yet he is continually giving this invitation to come, to believe, to, to be part of this kingdom. I think as we engage with those who are increasingly opposed to Christianity, uh, we need to learn this skill. We need to learn what the church needs to be about and how we can rally together so that we can present a unified message and a unified uh, Lord, to those who oppose. So with all that in mind, let's go ahead and uh, read Mark 3, verses 20 through 35. Mark 3, verses 20 through 35. Then, after appointing the disciples, uh, he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they are saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who had came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, 
all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whoever blaspheme, whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brother came. And his brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you as a divided people, and Father, with, uh, with hard allegiances that are, um, can be all over the place. Others of us come uh, as those who know that the faith in Christ that they have is, is opposed. And Father, we, uh, we thank you that we get Jesus here um, calling us to a greater unity and showing the the evidence that he is the Christ. And Father, I ask that we would take these things, that we would uh, bear them to heart, that ultimately you would give us great unity, that we would be unified in Christ, in our faith in him, that we would do your will, and that we would proclaim the message of Christ uh, clearly and evidently uh, to a world that stands opposed. We, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, we're going to start with a sandwich. Start with a sandwich. This is what theologians call a, a sandwich organization of a text. All right, we have bread, we have meat, and we have bread. All right, for your vegetarians out there, maybe there's, there's falafel or uh, cheese in the middle. Take your pick. All right, uh, so what, what we do here, uh, this is an ancient Near Eastern thing. They, uh, they present a story and kind of leave, leave it dangling. They the cliffhangers there, and then they get to a, a totally separate story, a second story. And it presents more content, and then they come back to that original story in light of uh, the meat. So you can look at the bread differently. When you take a bite of the bread, the, the meat changes it. And you take the whole thing as, as one big whole. And so uh, we're going to look at how Jesus kind of pieces these things together uh, to give us this kind of ultimate uh, taste of what the kingdom of God is. And so, uh, as the midst of all of these followers come to Jesus, we have the crowds. He went home and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. All right. Now, commentators and theologians, they've tried to get Jesus' family off the hook a little bit here, uh, and unsuccessfully so. Now, ultimately, what, what, are, they, what are they seeing here? Uh, they have decided that Jesus Christ is insane. That the crowds that are following him, the work that he's doing, it's not real, it's all in his head. And they come down to get him and to bring him back, to, to carry him away and take him to the nuthouse. All right, now, uh, 
we have this thing where uh, we talk about Jesus as uh, it's an apologetic. He's a liar, lunatic, or Lord. That either he's lying about who he is, but he's saying too crazy of things to just ignore it. Maybe he, he's, he's crazy. That's, it's not, he's not lying. He actually believes these things, but he's insane. Or maybe he really is the Lord. Now, for a while, his family has decided he's in that second category, that he is a lunatic. Now, his family later, they do come to, come to terms. Mary comes to faith. James the brother of Jesus, he writes a book in the New Testament. He seems to have gotten it. But for a while here, that's, that's what they've determined. And with their best intentions, they come to lovingly carry Jesus away because he's out of his mind. All right, uh, we're taking a, a rabbit trail here uh, about intentions. I've seen this come up more and more, and so just to get it in your head a little bit, uh, just because your intentions are good doesn't mean you're not sinning. Because, okay, if these, the brothers and family of Jesus, do they want to hurt him here? No. Do they want, they want to love him? They want to protect him? He's, he's, but they're wrong. And they're misguided. And as much as they might think they're loving, uh, it's not done in truth, it's not done by faith, it's not done with a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is, and therefore, uh, it's probably one of the most discouraging, harmful, unloving things that, that they could do. And I just want to remind us that as sinners, as much as we may have good intentions, if our good intentions create sinful results, there's still sin. And as you fight with your spouses about those things, you can't just say, well, I, I, meant, I didn't mean it that way. We are, we're clumsy. And we don't act out of faith and truth and love. I just want that category in our heads. That we can be more sinful than we're trying to be. And we, we repent of even that. Now, rabbit trail done. Uh, so Jesus' family, they, they do just that. They come, they are discouraging those Mary who received the, the promises from an angel. Uh, those same family members, this same family group is calling him insane. And I remind us that as we talk about kind of opposition to our faith, our opposition might come in the, in the form of those closest to you. Your family members, your a spouse, your children or your parents. I know that many of you face that. And just remind you that Jesus, our Savior, who has experienced all things, he's experienced that too. And he knows it, and he's, he's with us in it. I don't know who needs to, need to hear that, but someone needs to hear that. Uh, we all need to hear that at some point. And the reality is that it's a universal truth that the, the prophet is not accepted in his hometown, the the family usually doesn't accept those who, who come to faith and can't see the changed heart and are unwilling to see it. We'll always be seen as the, the children that we were or the, the parent who failed. That's a, it's a reality that we face. That's a difficulty of living the Christian life. Is as much as our sins are washed away, sometimes it doesn't feel like our family can see that. We, we have a choice 
to believe them or to, to live under Christ and to live in the reality of, of who we are in Christ. And I would encourage us to do that. Now, they have come, they have come to take him away. And before they can actually meet him, uh, a second group shows up. This is an encouraging day for Jesus. And verse 22, the scribes came down from Jerusalem. All right, so they've been hearing about Jesus and what he's been doing. And uh, a delegation is sent down from Jerusalem to, uh, to figure out just exactly what's going on here and uh, make their proclamation. Now, just another apologetic thing. Uh, apologetics, I didn't explain that. That just means uh, proof for that Jesus is who he is. I apologize. If I use big words, just, glow, just glare at me, and, and I'll, I'll try to figure out... Or just throw up your arms and that you don't understand. Uh, <laughs> that would work too. Some of you might be more comfortable doing that than others. Uh, all right, so first, just notice, if, if Jesus wasn't really doing miracles, this story wouldn't make any sense. If he wasn't actually exercising demons, if there's anyone who had any incentive to say that Jesus wasn't actually doing anything here, it would be these guys. And they could have come and said, you know what, he's, he's not doing anything. It's just to show... I'd remind us as 21st century Christians that they didn't come to that conclusion. As much as they tried, instead they take this route. And they see that demons are being cast out. They see the power and authority of Jesus. And they decide he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. All right, so the first group comes and says he's crazy. The second group comes and say, that says that he is demon-possessed, possessed by not just any demon, he's possessed by Satan himself. Beelzebul, the lord of flies, the, the prince of demons. They're saying, yeah, yeah, there's authority here. But who, who do demons ultimately listen to? Not just God, they listen to their prince, they listen to, to Satan himself. And that when Jesus does these things, he is possessed by Satan and using that authority and power to cast these demons out. Now, a reminder, they, they never say this to his face. They're, they're always kind of saying it in the corner, in whispers. And Jesus, he brings it right to them. He hears this, and he called them to himself and said them to them in parables. So there's a face-to-face, -face, but it's not as aggressive as it could be. He doesn't just straight up condemn them. He gives them a story. A parable, just this kind of with a little kind of subtle twist to it uh, that tends to be better at getting behind people's hearts, getting them to think a little bit deeper, not just calling them out, but helping them to see and to think. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. All right. This is not a prophecy. This is a parable. So he's not saying that this is going to happen. What is he saying? He's saying that if this is how Satan works, he's just a really bad administrator. He's a really bad leader. And he is ultimately causing his own suicide of his kingdom that he's feasting on his own soldiers that... He is uh, a fool. 
that he attacks his own kingdom, and it can't stand because if something is attacking itself, it's going to fail. Now, he's hoping that they see just the inherent logic in that. That if there's any kind of strategy behind Satan, if he has any wisdom, why would he attack his own kingdom and destroy it? Why would he pillage his own plunder? It's foolishness. All right, if you're, if you're playing chess and you start taking your own pieces, you're really bad at chess. You start jumping your own checkers, you're really bad at checkers. If you go to war and you start shooting your own soldiers, you're a really bad leader. That's what he's saying. Simple as that. And so he gives an alternate explanation. Well, if it's not that Satan is attacking his own kingdom as a fool, what's, what's another more plausible explanation here? But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. What's he saying here? He's saying, yeah, yeah, there is a strong man, Satan. But if anyone's going to take those people, the souls that he's possessed, the people that he's oppressing, if anyone's going to come in and destroy the demons, they're going to rob Satan of, of the, the people that he has claimed for himself, it's not going to be with his consent. It's going to be because he has been bound. I mean, if someone stronger has come in, tied him up, and is plundering his kingdom, is plundering his house. And he's saying, it seems like that kingdom is getting pillaged, which must mean that there is someone stronger who has bound him. And who has subdued him, who is holding him down, and who is aggressively destroying his kingdom. Now that is our great Savior, who's coming in and he is binding the strong man and he is setting people free. He is pillaging the kingdom of darkness, not because he has this evil authority, but because he has the power of God. He is God. He is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he is taking on evil and destroying it. Now which one makes more sense? That Satan is destroying himself or that Someone stronger and greater is pillaging the kingdom. Now, that's, that shouldn't be that hard to choose between those two things. It's actually not that complicated. And what he's saying is that, you know, only a fool would come to this conclusion, someone who is not thinking, who is not using their heads. There's no logic behind Jesus being filled with the power of Satan and casting out demons. The motivation behind that person is the motivation of the heart, not the mind. Listen to your heart. All right, your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And in this case, the scribes, they have decided ahead of time that they don't want Jesus to be the one who has authority. They don't want him to be Lord and so they have blinded themselves. And they have believed sheer foolishness so that they can maintain this view of Jesus that they want to be true. Now, Jesus goes to, to explain what's happening in that heart, what happens with that kind of person. And he says, verse 28, 
Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. All right, what's he accusing them of? He's saying, you are denying the Holy Spirit inside of me who is working. And you're saying that the Holy Spirit, who has this great power, whose spirit of holiness and, and victory, is instead the spirit of Satan. And he's saying that, that is unforgivable. That is unpardonable. That is the unforgivable sin. All right, uh, at some point in your life, you probably heard of the unforgivable, unpardonable sin, and you felt scared about it, and maybe I've done it, and I didn't know. Uh, I know all kids, I, I feel like I, someone has read it somewhere, and you, you wonder, all right, what is this? This is taking the clear sign of what God has done for good, the power of the Holy Spirit poured out for salvation, and saying, you know, it's, it's not that I don't believe it, it's not that. It's not that I don't appreciate it as much as I should. None of us appreciate it as much as we should. It's instead turning that completely on its head and saying, no, it's not holy, it's evil. The salvation of God is actually just a demonic working. What, good, what is good is evil. What is salvation is condemnation. To take what is clearly the work of God and call it the work of Satan, that is the unpardonable sin. And the motivation is not foolishness, it's not ignorance. It is just cold-heartedness that hates Jesus. And that's where, I'm not going to say, you better, the application is not, think about whether or not you've, you've committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, you would know, and you have decided to commit the unpardonable sin. Please don't worry if you ever have... Uh, you have any love for Jesus, if you're struggling to, to believe in Jesus, uh, this is a very different thing. And it's unpardonable because you have taken the clear sign of salvation and you have said that it is just pure evil. And there's nothing left for you. You can either turn from that sin and believe in Christ, but as long as you're holding on to that and saying that salvation is death, that the greatest thing in all of human history is evil, uh, there's nowhere to go. You've denied every path of forgiveness, and so it stands unpardonable. Uh, an illustration of this, I, I had a friend who went to East Asia and was, was doing ministry there, and he described, he's trying to, like, he was like, he's like, okay, so, see, look at the cross, like, what color, what color is this? And they say, you know, it, it's blue. And he'd say, well, no, it's not blue. All right, the sky, is it the same color as the sky? And they'd say, well, no, no, it's not the same color. Is it the same color as a tree? Yes, it's the same color as a tree. Is a tree brown? Yes. What color is the cross? It's blue. It's, it's that level of like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to use my head. I want my heart to, my heart wants to motivate all of this. And I, I don't want to part. Now that is the opposition that Jesus stood against in his time here. That is 
the opposition of some out there who don't want Jesus and don't want to want Jesus and don't want to want to want to Jesus. Uh, now, we have to settle with that in our own hearts and spirit that that is, that is a reality that is out there. And our hearts could be equally blind. We would be equally blind if it hadn't been for the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and changing our hearts. But know that that is the reality. And there is no amount of, of logic or thinking to convince that that, that blue is brown can be reality. And there's nothing but the power of God that can change it. Now, in the face of that, Jesus then comes back to that last part of the sandwich. So we had this problem that was lingering, and then we have this, this horrible opposition. And then it comes back to his family once again. And this is where we get kind of all the application and all of the, the point of all of this. Verse 31, And his mother and his brother came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. All right, you can kind of feel the, the stress in the people. Because they're like, well, Jesus, your, your family's outside, and they're saying you're crazy, and they want to take you away. Uh, what are you going to do about this? And you have this kind of existential potential crisis because Jesus just said that a house divided against itself is not going to stand. And all of a sudden, Jesus' own house is coming to get him and telling him that he's insane. And the wonder is, you know, is, is Jesus' house broken and fallen? What are we going to do with this? And we might ask, okay, like, in your own lives, the opposition to your faith could seem like this kind of total existential dread that your kingdom is, is fallen, it's broken, that it's shaking at the foundations. Maybe your family feels divided. Maybe your, I don't know, your friendships feel divided. And the thing that you're, you're building your life upon feels like it's kind of shaky. Now Jesus answered them, verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my, brother, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What does he say? He says, that, that family outside, that's not my family. That household is not my household. That kingdom is not my kingdom. That nation is not my nation. No, these are my people. You are my mother and brothers and sisters. You hear. There are going to be those who reject Jesus. There are going to be those who reject you. And they might be the things that you try to build your kingdom upon. They might be your spouse that you have invested your life in. They might be your children that you've poured yourself into. It. This is your legacy. They might be your parents. You just long for their acceptance and their approval. 
might be your friends who you've walked through thick and thin with. And it might feel like your, your kingdom is crumbling, your family is left. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know what? There's a different kingdom, there's a different family, there's a different nation. And it is built around me. There's this phrase, blood is thicker than water. All right, that's a lie. That is not a biblical truth in light of what Christ has done. What is he saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ's blood is thicker than anything else. All right, we have this like silly college mantras that like, oh, like apparently me and Casey, our, our blood is supposed to run blue and gold. I know for some of you, they run other colors. Uh, or, or, you know, my, my blood runs red, white, and blue. Uh, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know, your, your blood is my blood. And my blood is thicker than anything else. My blood matters more. And that I have offered my blood to give you forgiveness and to give you new life, to be, give you rebirth into a new family and a new nation and a new people. And he's calling us to live like that is the case. To live like the family that we have is more our family and first our family because it is the family that we will have for all eternity. And the nation we're building here is the, the kingdom of God that will stand for all eternity. And we live in a world where it seems like things are getting more and more divided and quarrelsome and bipolar. And I remind you that Jesus is bigger than the divisions that you try to live under. Family divisions. The blood of Jesus is thicker. Racial divisions. The blood of Jesus is thicker. Political divisions. The blood of Jesus is thicker and ought to be thicker. Gender divisions. The blood of Jesus ought to be thicker. Blue-collar, white-collar divisions. The, the blood of Jesus is thicker than those things. The COVID believers and the COVID doubters, the blood of Jesus is thicker. That we are called to unity, we are called to something that is, is greater than, than the divisions of the world. On Tuesday, on Tuesday, the temptation will be to be divided that to be obsessed with a kingdom that stands in this world only. And I remind us, we have one spirit, one baptism, one body, one father, and we have one king and one Messiah. And he will not be determined on Tuesday. Either up or down, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hear you talk about like the world feels dark, feels like evil is winning and, and we need to fight back. All right. There's only one person who can bind Satan and pillage his house and plunder him for all that he has and he's not going to be elected on Tuesday. 
He has already come. He is already Lord. He is our King. He is our Messiah. We already have Him, and we're already in phase one. We have coming, dying, raising from the dead to, to free us from our sins. He is seated at the right hand of God, and He is there, and He is only going to leave so that He can come here and rescue us all in phase two to bring a new creation, to make this kingdom a reality. That is where we're headed. That is how evil is going to be defeated. That's how darkness is going to be subdued. That's the only way. And my hope is that we don't put our, our hope in, in false saviors, that we don't put our, make our rallying cry divisions that divide this, this body but they're united in, in Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, here are my brothers and my mother. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. All right, what is the, what is the will of God here? Jesus has already said it. He says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in Jesus Christ. Look at what he's done. He is Lord. He is Savior. And he's building a kingdom that is bigger than all of us. Amen? Questions? Let's pray. Father, we ask that as opposition is, is, there's always a temptation to to fight it by just coming together as divided groups or to run after security and comfort or, um, or other kingdoms and other, other bodies, Father, we ask that we would not, that you would protect us, that we would come together as one body in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that your blood would be thicker than any of these things, that the unity that we have in you and the fact that we all stand uh, under one Lord and we stand uh, redeemed and saved, forgiven and receiving of mercy, Father, that that would be uh, our unity. And that would be the, binds, well, the thing that binds us together and that would be what we proclaim to the world that we proclaim Jesus, and if the world doesn't want him, uh, we are not running after the kingdoms of this world. So, Father, would you, would you show us the ways that we are uh, divided, the ways that we have allegiances that need to be broken, and, Father, would you give us more of Jesus? Would we delight in the work that he's done? Would we thank him and praise him for the victory that he has won. And Father, would we, uh, would we rest in it, we pray in Jesus Christ's name.